0: Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the economy and whether we're going to have that recession we've all been looking for since last year. Logan, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Happy Friday, Sarah Wheeler. I hope all is well, and I and I missed uh, Dallas, Texas already.
0: <laughs> ah, all is well. Yeah, it was great to have you and Diego and some other people in. We had a we had a great time strategy sessions going on. Um, But today, we have a lot to talk about, mainly looking at the overall economy, right? Definitely, we're going to drill down into some housing parts of this. But I wanted to ask you, like, where are we? You know, why hasn't the recession happened? Where are we with that? Is it going to happen?
1: You know, it's, it's, it's a good discussion. As I am talking to you on Friday morning, the 10-year yield is at 4.32%. So for those that follow the tracker every single week, you know, I, I try to put key technical levels. And when we finally broke above four and a quarter, four and a quarter was my peak on the 10-year yield. As long as jobless claims stayed low, you know, bond yields ha- have the potential to get there. Jobless claims stayed low this last week it went down again. We are about a hundred thousand away. From the four-week moving average, from getting to three hundred twenty-three thousand, so we're we're not even remotely in that category, and this is why I, I I focus so much on labor. But the question is why? Like you know, people thought we were in a recession in January of twenty twenty-two, and now GDP growth is good this quarter. Retail sales just beat again. Industrial production is positive. Jobless claims are down, and I I fall back to what. I've always said post the COVID-19 recovery, household balance sheets are good. Every person that is using these credit card charts and everything are not economic people because they've done it every single year. I mean, literally for all the way up from the longest economic expansion in 2010 to 2019, credit card growth was growing. But what they don't ever want to show is that the percentage of payments, uh, liability payments to incomes right now for those that have debt is not very high historically. We're, 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 we're just off the all time lows. So because people think that everyone's broke, this is why we don't listen to stock traders. And that's not been in the data for some time. They naturally assume everyone is like on the, on the edge of the abyss and uh, about to fall in. There's credit card stress and auto loan stress in the system now. We we see that, uh, but it's also like there's mortgage growth is not not here. Obviously, credit card growth is there. Auto loan growth is you know not not really booming. But we do see stress in the lower FICO score area. We have to remember that there's no qualified mortgage law for auto loans. Okay, they specifically made sure not to have a qualified mortgage law for auto loans. That's the one thing that. Both Republicans and Democrats said, uh, "Okay, we don't want to go that far over there." Um, so there is there is going to be stress on the lower FICO side whenever whenever gas prices go up, the the lower incomes do get hit harder. Some of them can't uh, take their payments, and also, God, was it the average payment of a car right now is seven hundred and seventy five dollars? You know, so it's for some people that have taken on that, if they had lost their jobs, because right, there's there, people get fired every single month. You see that stress building up. But in the general economy, retail sales just – I mean, retail sales had a big beat. It wasn't just a small beat either. So traditionally, when you have consumption still going in a consumption-based economy because balance sheets are still fine, you 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 you, you go with that. Um, there's a lot of indicators that are flagging recession. I mean, even myself, my sixth recession red flag model went off on August 5th, 2022, but I said, what is a few things that can help the economy? Number one, new home sales, you know, the purchase application data for new home sales is up 20% year over year. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Up 20% year over year. Why? Very low bar. They live in a lower mortgage rate world. They can still finish some of those housing construction uh, uh, projects, right? So the, the construction employment is still there. We have major deficit spending going, let's say, in the manufacturing industry where we're building plants out. Those things, you know, with consumption still holding up, keeps the economy moving on. And uh, this is why jobless claims, to me, is always the key data line. Uh, uh, and as long as household balance sheets stay good, because they there'll be a lag effect on short-term rates. But the real problem for the Fed is so much of our consumer debt is tied to long-term fixed products. So their short-term rates don't do anything. And this is why I said you know, we all talk about the hedge against inflation was your 30-year mortgage. But if you wanted to knock Jerome Powell on his ass, you say, raise it all you want. Look at this. You ain't getting in here. Get out. And that's, I think that's one of the other things I'm trying to say is that your 30-year mortgage is the best fight against the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve Wants the labor supply to grow, right? They don't care about your family. They're telling you, we want more weakness in the labor market. They're not going to pay your bills. So here they are, all these people with thirty-year fixes. Go, okay. I'm I'm chilling like a villain. I'm good. So so much of the long-term debt fixed, uh, or so much of consumer debt is tied to long-term fixed. So much of uh, corporate debt is actually tied to longer duration debt. So we don't have a lot of loans coming uh, in maturity. And also the commercial uh, um, fiasco hasn't really uh, uh, crashed the economy yet. They're extending this out. It's like the slowest death pain ride ever. So there's all these factors here. And as I'm telling you right now, the 10-year yield is up and jobless claims are low. Energy prices are rising. And remember, we had higher oil prices for four or five years in the start of 2010 to 2015. And the economy was expanding then. You can make a case that there are a bunch of new variables coming into the equation that over the next 12 months, things will be a little bit different. Of course, the student loan debt payment is, is a big deal in a sense that we are now withdrawing income out of the economy, right? If you really wanted to fight inflation, you really have to withdraw income out of the economy. That means you raise taxes or uh, you, you do major deficit uh, uh, spending reductions, uh, or, or spending less. So we decided to do this by raising short-term rates uh, with a credit profile of the US consumer being good. So it's it's not as fast as some people had hoped for. Uh, so there are things out there that are different now. Of course, energy is a tax, uh, student loan payments a tax, uh, uh, inflation rising on on the on the energy side, but also on the rent side you know, you can only make a case on the energy side. The growth rate of rents are cooling down. So that's somewhat of, of, of a benefit. And things are just holding up. But we have to see how the economy reacts to when student loan debt payments are here and how much longer the net interest cost of credit cards. And we'll see it in the data when we see more consumption destruction. We're not there yet, you know, but uh, uh, it's just I, 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 I could see the frustration now that we're almost in October from a lot of people that were saying we're in a recession in January of 2022, and they're going to do the same thing. Guys, trust me on this. They're just going to sit there and go, it's the lag. It's the lag. Respect the lag. Respect the lag. Respect the lag. That's what happens when you overplayed a short-term story and you're just going to say, it'll happen. It'll happen. That happened during the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history, right? Everything was a lag, lag, lag. We never got a recession COVID, COVID. We had the COVID-19 recovery models very fast. So- We keep an eye on this stuff. I am laser focused. Not there yet, right? Uh, um, Usually speaking, you don't have new home sales growing uh, 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 during a recessionary period, right? You actually flow that downtrend. And I think that's part of, you know, if the Fed is trying to say housing is rebounding, they should say, okay, new home sales is rebounding from a very low bar because the builders can do uh uh, what we don't want anybody else to do lower the rates, but uh the existing home sales market is still stuck at twenty first century lows in demand and it's not not going anywhere.
0: You always make that distinction between the existing home sales market and the new home sales market, and in any given year, the new home sales market is usually so much smaller. It's just that we have so few existing homes that this year they've really taken up more you know more of the air in the room.
1: So I I look at it on the economic side as this. The new home sales market to the economy matters more. And just for this reason, um, it's construction job. It's big ticket items. You know, you got to buy a refrigerator. You got to buy uh, a dishwasher, furniture, all these things. And you employ a lot of people to get to that process. And then there's some transfer of commission. Now, the existing home sales market, is basically a transfer of commission to the economy in moving trucks. That's kind of how I look at it. So the transfer of commission, people say, well, plumbers are, are not going to be uh, a good. Well, you know what? There's 144 million units out there. Plumbers will find jobs because we have a lot of old stock and things need to be repaired. But when we talk about existing home sales, a transfer of commission between a loan officer, a realtor, You know, uh, the people that work at the escort. these things kind of work together, but it doesn't necessarily like grow construction jobs or anything in that matter. Uh, It just keeps the general people in in there employed. And if sales grow naturally, volumes grow, your incomes grow. So it's a loss of income. Uh, uh, from the existing home sales side, which flows to real estate agents and mortgage people. But for the economics, building a new home, construction, big ticket items, those things. And I think that's how some of the Fed people look at it. Uh, uh, if, we, if new home sales were falling so much more lower and they've stopped all the permits and uh, housing starts are falling, that's what traditionally we go with uh, uh, recessions. Here, permits are stabilized. Single family construction is picking up a little bit, so there's not much going on. But um, that's one factor that that gets into the kind of the real nitty gritty of economic cycle work uh, and the difference between existing homes uh, and new home sales market. That's why you know when we went on CNBC last year, <clears throat> and Becky Quick asked me, "Is the is the housing market is in a recession?" Because the NAR and the NHAB uh, both said yes, and I said, "Yes, it is," but I'm going to give you the reasons why. Jobs down, incomes down, production is down for the builders, right? But the builders' confidence got up, and here we go. We've stabilized the permits, and we're growing a little bit of single family starts. So, so the things that we usually move with recessions and housing has changed on that side. That doesn't mean it can't revert back. You know, let's say we get eight to nine percent mortgage rates, the builders can't buy down the rates anymore. That goes away. Uh, so we're not. We don't have that aspect anymore. And I think a lot of people that looked at housing as a leading indicator. this is true, but the builder's confidence already bounced higher and we're already seeing double digit growth in sales and in purchase application data there, just not in the existing home sales market.
0: So you said earlier when you were talking about the student um, loan payments and stuff like that, you said you called it a tax. What do you, what do you mean by that? Is that just you, your- So
1: when you, when you have a student loan payment, now, this has been a long and endearing battle for me uh, for many years because I was not a big fan of the student loan debt crisis because they over-exaggerated the data lines. Uh, They said no millennials will ever buy homes during like a four or five year period where millennials were the biggest home buyers, And I was like, okay, so in in a coherent world, you can't say on one hand, we need to build more homes because millennials uh, are buying. And then seven seconds later says, we have a student loan debt crisis and no millennials can buy homes. Doesn't work in, in the real world. What you could have said, which made sense, is that college dropouts are the biggest stressed in the student loan data data line. And, and I've, I've talked about this for years and I've tried to show that. We even wrote that article. It's like one of the first articles I wrote for Housing Wire, trying to explain the student loan debt. Majority of student loan debt is actually under 17,000. Uh, if, if, if the government wiped out 17,000, majority of the country have no student loan debt. The people that finish college and have the degree with the income with the debt typically make the most money i in fact there's a, a a brand new chart that just came out with this and it's like they make so much more money than people that didn't graduate high school or so or, or just graduated high school so it's like this is the group you're worried about if they finish school like the people that have you know a million dollar homes stock options, 401k plans, dual household incomes, we call them dice, double income, college education. This is the group, out of all the groups in America, you're worried about the upper income class, okay? So the stress will come from the uh, the lower debt side and college drop side, which means that they're not paying their student loan debts. Uh, so what occurs, the tax, uh, as I talk about it, the people that actually make the money and have disposable income, they were, hey, we've got a fr- you know, free ride here, so now they're going to have to pay let's say 600 700 400 that is a tax that's being taken away from them now right so so it goes into the government the government makes 50 billion dollars a year off student loan debts and nothing really comes out of that so we're taking income like like a tax does a tax takes income away uh, uh, and that's why you know, uh, People like myself would say, if you really wanted to stop inflation, you raise taxes to withdraw income. Nobody's going to. Do- we we could never get that passed in this country anyway. But here, you actually have a, a a mechanism that where the people that actually do have a lot of disposable income that weren't spending are now going to hit get it hit. They can make the payments. They were making the payments before, uh, but now you know that's just less income going into the economy, and that should lower. The growth rate of retail sales, to a degree, or there's going to be parts of the economy that have l- done better because the people that make the most amount of income are, are had a little bit more disposable income. So think of it in that way, and uh, the Federal Reserve probably won't admit it, but they're like, "Oh, thank you, get those student loan payments out, right?" You know, uh, they'll slow the economy even more. Uh, so that's that. That to me, that's how people should look at that. And then we need about you know six to twelve months to see how it infiltrates into the data lines, and then we go with that. But before, even though people were paying their student loan debt, it was the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. Those who finished college, millennials were homebuyers. They make the highest income. They're good. They'll be good. It's the ones that took on the debt and didn't finish college. So if you guys want to understand why they picked $10,000 to wipe out, a lot of the stress in the data lines, college dropouts, 10000 and less. So uh, you, you basically cleared the system of a lot of stress out there. Uh, that's why that number was chosen. So I just, I just don't think a lot of people actually read the data to know, like, we got a lot of wealthy, high-income people here, and, and they're, they're the smallest percentage, but they're the biggest debt. And then it's like everyone else. And then it's this group that never finished college. This is your problem group. Uh, so different kind of dynamics. But again, whenever you ask people to pay more, it's a tax right? And now we're taxing the economy by telling people they have to pay their student loan debts now.
0: So interesting. No, thanks for clearing that up because I was like, what do you mean by that? But that, that makes total sense. And for, as you said, it's the people who got into debt and then don't have the benefit of the better paying jobs because they graduated from college. So they're still in low paying jobs, but they've got the student debt on top of it.
1: Debt with no degree. It's not a lot, but you know that student loan debt sits there and Man, these people are relentless. You know, I, I have this joke. That, this is true. The Joker will take on Batman 24-7 for 70 years, but he'll always pay the IRS because he'll say, You can't mess with the IRS. <laughs> they will they will follow you and your family to the ends of hell to get their, you know, student loan debt back. So uh, there's no escaping it. There's no bankruptcy laws. There's no anything. There's nothing around that. They they are coming after you. They'll garnish your wages. There is no way of getting out of that. So um, it's 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 one of these things that you know the, the the bottom portion of the debt pool is where the stress is, and a lot of people just didn't uh, finish college. And I think that's that's one of the things that nobody ever wants to talk about. But college dropouts were the biggest stress in the data line. So. I'm not saying you're encouraging behavior by doing this, but still, you know, if you if you went to school and you didn't finish and you had to do it, you know, uh, there's, of course, there's all these, you know, for profit colleges that weren't very good or something. Okay, that's that's a whole different subject. But again, um, think, just make it simple. The people that have the most disposable incomes, the college educated class were having kind of a, like a free lunch and they had more disposable income than normal. And now they're going to have to pay. They were paying before. They should be fine now. But that's less money in the economy.
0: So student loans are, are one of the variables that you talked about that um, you know we're going to see how that plays into the economic picture of recession. This year, of course, one of the, the most um, unforeseen things, or, or at least I didn't see it, I think it caught so many people by surprise, was the banking crisis. And so, my question for you is Do we foresee more banking stress in the system? And what are some of the other things that you think could be lurking out there for the economy?
1: Are we talking about the shadow inventory again?
0: <laughs> we are not talking about the shadow um, inventory. One of
1: the things, one of the, th- okay, so one of the things that uh, can happen, uh, another government shutdown, October maybe, uh, you know, we have strikes that are, Coming into the system now between Hollywood and uh, the car industry, um, you get hit on the production side of those things. The longer it goes, the more problematic it is. Uh, uh, The banking crisis has already tightened for the residential side, but it was for rates. But it's also tightened on the jumbo side. So uh, things can get worse on that front. Uh, manufacturing data has, has been so low on some of these data lines that they're starting to bounce. Uh, uh, so uh, maybe the worst in that is is already come into play. But, you know, we have government shutdown. We have student loan debt. We have rising oil prices. Mortgage rates are still high. The 10-year yield is rising. Short-term rates are up. And, and net interest cost for households are rising. Uh, for homeowners, it's, it's not as bad as it is for renters. So you put all those t- things together and the new variables has made less deficit spending next year, uh, 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 higher rates for longer net interest costs, weans out some of the people's cash flows, uh, higher energy prices is a tax itself, student loan debt's a tax. So we have things that, you know, we're going to have to be so focused on the data uh, um, and they're and they're legit. They're legit. When oil prices were falling, okay, real wages picked up. Okay oil prices are rising. And then again, you put that with student loan debt, you actually have something there. Uh, you have something that, you know, oil shocks tend to tend to be um, uh, very problematic for the US economy. I mean, if you had like a 1970s oil shock, like uh, adjusting to inflation and the oil prices have to get like $450 or something to that to that level. So we don't have to worry about that. But here, you know, we we always are mindful of what the data tells us. But two of the things after the six recession red flag model was up, I said two of the things that could help the US economy, the growth rate of inflation falling, that has happened uh, uh, on, on all, all the data lines we're seeing. We're seeing it slow down. Uh, and That's a positive. Oil prices are rising. That's a headline. Diesel costs are starting to become problematic. So I call the D&Ds, right? Diesel and the dollar. And, uh, we don't want to say, so remember everybody that said the dollar is going to collapse. Oh, the bricks are here and they're going to get gold and the dollars. Going to... No, the dollar's getting too strong again. So we're at the point to where I'm like, oh no, oh, God. we don't need the dollar breaking out again. We don't need it too strong of a dollar. But my concern with diesel prices, the only reason I'm bringing this up people is that the growth rate of food inflation is noticeably co- cooling down on CPI. But when diesel prices rise, that drives so much of the food costs because that's where they transport transport a lot of the food. So uh, uh, I'm concerned about the recent increases in diesel prices and then also the dollar getting stronger. You put those things into play. You got some of the things that were benefit for us this year, right? The dollar was falling. The growth rate of inflation falling, oil prices were falling, diesel prices were Some of those things are reverting back up. So we got got variables. And that's why I say it's a live variable game. Every day, everything, we have to incorporate everything. That's why you have to track things weekly. You can't just put one forecast. We are in a recession in January of 2022. Respect the lag, respect the lag, respect the lag, respect the lag. I'm a stock trader who's net long, but I'm just going to say respect the lag because I want everyone to know I said respect lack. No, it doesn't work that way. You don't want to be that person. You want to follow the w- weekly data and you know all these people. Why do you put commodity charts all the time up? Because it's important. So uh, uh, I, I am concerned of the diesel increases and what that can imply to food inflation going out because th- those things getting better is a positive for the U.S.
0: So you know you put housing into a recession in 2022. Correct? It was June of 2022.
1: June 16th, 20, 5.01 PM.
0: 501. Let's be precise. Yes. Okay. And it's true that we have sort of, you know, we have the housing economy that runs in parallel, but sometimes on this completely different track than the overall economy. And the housing economy has taken a huge hit, huge. And we know that the Federal Reserve was okay with that. They wanted a housing reset. They were okay because we're such a huge sector and they wanted to see inflation come down. If, if this sector suffered, that's fine. When you look at what's happening right now in the overall economy, how does that impact housing? Because some of those inflationary things as they happen might spur better interest rates.
1: See, here's the, here's the dichotomy of, of this. The builders, if you just made it, if, if, if there was no existing home sales, housing market, then the the housing recession ended in november because that was the bottom of the builders confidence index now we don't have rising permits in a meaningful fashion that's 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 when i actually okay there's a recovery right there but that ended on there everywhere else existing home sales are still low so we're not creating jobs in that market or wages aren't going up in that stuff because of the uh, sales aren't growing but it stopped the bleeding. That's it. So it's, 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 it's a different situation because existing home sales went from six and a half million to 4 million. We haven't even broken under 4 million, but new home sales are growing. So that part of the housing economy is pushing along and the builders have still so much of a backlog that they're just working that up. So it's a bit funky, but then again, so many people said the housing market is just prices so they said the downturn could be you know it could be five, ten years before home prices ever get back. it was five months uh, or so, you know so, and the same people that are say were saying that last year have not said okay, the housing recession's over because existing home prices are back up. No, they're stock traders, YouTubers, or whatever. They don't do that, right? So it's it's one of these things. I don't use existing home prices. It's like the bane and strife of my life. Everybody cares about the one thing about housing that, you know, on the economic side isn't that relevant to the jobs and incomes. But uh, prices are back at all-time highs, uh, and new home sales are growing, and permits are stabilizing and trying to grow. But then the existing home sales, the, the big tamale right there. Everyone's jobs, incomes—that's still at a very depressed level, uh, uh, and uh, that's that's why it's it's you have to break the housing market down on its recessionary. Because if you just just worked off the builders' confidence index, you're like, hey, this this it's not crashing anymore. You're right, it, it has rebounded. New home sales are up double digits year over year. Very low bar. Just remember, everyone, extremely low comps going out to the uh, end of the year, uh, so take that in context with the year-over-year growth uh, data. We're not going to have uh, uh, normal comps until February of 2024. So uh, you know I saw the purchase application data for new homes it was up 20% year-over-year. That's like, okay, the housing's booming it just you have to you take it in context to where we were last year.
0: Which is why you do the tracker. And um, we will be looking for that this weekend to see. By the time this airs, everyone can go and read it how much inventory we got. Or if we can say, yes, we are now in the seasonal um, decline part of the year where, where inventory is just not going to grow, at least not traditionally.
1: And this is what, you know, when we have our Housing Wire annual event uh, in October in Austin – A lot of the focus is going to be, you know, what to look for, not only toward the end of the year, but for next year, because of everything that we have dealt with uh, already. And again, it's it's one of these really strange things to where we like had a almost like a three year housing cycle in like five months, five six months. It's really weird, but it it, we had something to that fashion. Uh, But there's still parts of the housing market that are still depressed in terms of volumes, and then there's parts of the housing market that have stopped the bleeding and showing some growth and then existing home prices are back at an all-time highs. So it's it, it it's complicated, Sarah. It's not so uh, clear cut and that's why you got to break down the data and the variables and and make sure to bring some reality to the Airbnb bus conversation.
0: <laughs> Which for some reason we are still having. Okay, well thank you so much Logan. So great to have you on as always and we will have you on in a few days. Sounds good.